Well, happy Friday, everyone. I am back, baby. I just returned this week from Boulder, Colorado, where I had an incredible Labor Day weekend with our youngest daughter, Abby. I got to tell you all something that was really kind of weird. So Abby moved into a new house. This thing was built in 1914. And she, her room in this house, I think there's, uh, God, I think there's five girls living in there. And those of you who don't know anything about Boulder, Boulder is, it's, it's a weird place. And all the kids pile into these old, old turn of the century houses, uh, that look like they are all but about to fall down. Abby's doesn't look quite that bad. So it's, it's kind of crazy. Typical kid. She goes from living in one of the nicest apartments is convenient to campus right on what's called the hill right across from campus for the last three years to this house built in 1914 a little further from campus not really that much i mean still definitely within walking distance and but it's part of the experience she said dad you know look before i leave i want this experience i want to live in one of the old houses on the hill and so okay here we go so we go to visit her over the labor day weekend and her room is like something out of a, I don't know, a Judy Bloom book. Maybe, maybe more of a Neil Gaiman book. If you've ever read uh, Coraline or any of Neil Gaiman's books, it's like this attic room and it's all cedar lined. It's like got all these weird angles and stuff. And the house was built in 1914. So it's, it's weird. I mean, and, and Abby, the funny thing about it is Abby is very creative. She's a, she's a writer it just suits her so perfectly. So I was, so that was fun. All right. Well, Jemlin and I get up there and Jemlin notices immediately as Jemlin always does that the thing needs to be deep cleaned. Abby had straightened it up and cleaned it. And, and Abby's more of a decorator, creative type, deep cleaner, not so much. And so, right. I mean, uh, Jemlin goes to cleaning this place up and I mean, my God, this thing was, I mean, I think some of the dust was from 1914 when they built the house. But Abby had ordered a desk off of Amazon, and so uh, we. Uh, she asked me to put it together. Or actually, Jimlin told me to put it together. No, she didn't. She she said, "Hey, why don't you put this together while we're here?" And so I'm putting this thing together, and or I, I'm opening the box, and you know how that was like the when they package stuff like a desk or something in uh, from Amazon, it's got like the the sheets of styrofoam. All right, well, I start to pull this out. And it's like, it's all falling apart. It's like, it's weird. It's not like in the sheets. Like, it's all like, I don't know what's going on. It's just like all just pouring out, making a huge mess. And I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe it just got torn in the box. I don't know. I don't really think much of it. Pull some of it out. And then all of a sudden, this foul stench starts coming from this box. I'm like, what the hell is that? It's like rotten curry or just some, it's just, it's foul. And all of a sudden, I pull a little bit of it out, and Jemlin looks in there. She goes, oh, my God, I think something's in there. And I'm like, are you serious? She's, yeah, there's definitely something in there. All right, kids. All right, Jason Wright Show audience, get ready. In this box shipped over from China were some dead mice. It was so nasty. And it stunk so bad. And also, it just kind of got me to thinking, well, did they do this on purpose? I mean, I don't want to be like, you know, Mr. Conspiracy Theorist or something. But is this like a little test run of, hmm, maybe we'll just ship some stuff through the Amazons? Um, Anyway, so that's what our weekend entailed. But it was such a great time. 
And but now here we are. We're back. I had I had every intention of doing a podcast from Boulder. I thought I would uh thought I would check in with you guys from there and do an episode. But then to be honest with you, I just decided to go, nah, I'm out. Uh didn't even put out the the Vitruvian letter this past weekend. Took a break from that. Just spent time uh enjoying the Boulder sunshine, the flat irons. I was feeling a little puny while I was up there. I, I don't know if it was just tired and uh, got a little bit of a cold, which I never get. And I hate to admit, but I did get. And here's something I want to tell you that uh, is going to be, it's going to kind of uh, segue into one of the topics I want to cover for this best Friday ever is, so I, I take my stuff, my, my travel equipment is generally a couple of jump ropes and a couple of uh, resistance bands. If you've got two jump ropes, you get your your cardio covered, right? You can jump rope almost anywhere. Go to the parking lot, of the hotel, whatever. So it's it's like traveling gym. And jump rope, by the way, if you don't do it, it is so money for so many reasons. Not the least of which is the good cardio uh, workout that you're going to get. But more than that, it also it helps your lymphatic system, which gets your blood flow flowing from literally from head to toe. And for me, I've noticed a dramatic improvement in mood whenever I do jump rope. In fact, I will sometimes get up early in the morning and the first movement I do, even before I go for my morning walk in the sunshine, I'll do a little bit of jump rope, even if it's only like eight to 10 minutes. And I've also, you, you guys know that I have like a mini trampoline or I've talked about it on the show before. You may not know this may be your first trip by, but I have a little mini trampoline or a rebounder as it's supposedly, I guess that's what it's officially called. So I have a rebounder. Uh, I have a little mini tramp and bouncing on that. That's really good for your lymphatic system as well. And it, it will heighten your mood and get you going and wake you up. Jump rope is one of the greatest things in the world. So if you're, when you're traveling, you know, it's just kind of hard to, when you get out of your normal environment and you're in a hotel room, it's just, you want to sleep later. It's kind of harder to get going. Jump rope is money. And then the resistance bands. I have not, I had not used resistance bands regularly until I started subscribing to the Ladder app and joining Ben Greenfield's Boundless team on the Ladder app, which another plug, I get no, I have no affiliation with Ladder, uh, but I want to tell you it is my favorite workout app. It's uh, new workouts every week. They're designed by Ben Greenfield, who is America's top trainer and author of Boundless, um, author of a new book called, I believe it's Endure, uh, has several, New York Times bestselling author, great podcast, and someone I just admire greatly as a human being. And so you can join a number of the latter teams. I happen to be on Team Boundless because it's Ben Greenfield. And so I take that with me, and it wasn't until I joined Ladder that and it's L-A-D-D-E-R if you want to check it out. Uh, it wasn't until then that I started working out with resistance bands. And man, what a what a cheap, convenient way to put a gym in your suitcase. Uh, there's so many things you can do with resistance bands. Uh, you can like strap them across your back and do some like resistance push-ups. That makes a big difference. You could do overhead presses. You can do just so many different things with them. So what I usually do now is I will always travel with uh, jump ropes and some resistance bands. I had them, had every intention to do my normal workouts, but I didn't because I wasn't feeling well. I thought either one, I'm 
I've contracted the vid on my flight or I've got a cold. Something's just not right. I listen to my body. And this is something that I used to not do very well at all. I would always believe in, and I still to a certain degree, if a cold linger, lingers for a while and I'm not traveling, then what I will do is I'll, I will really do some hard cardio sessions to kind of sweat it out and push it out of my body. I do think there's still, uh, now that's, here's the difference though. That is Jason Wright (laughs) biological science or whatever physiological improvement is to just press a cold out and sweat it out. There's nothing to that that I have any scientific data to back up. However, the, the correct way to do it and the way that I did it on this trip was I just said, I'm not doing anything. The most I'm gonna do is just walk around with Abby and Jimlin, get plenty of sunshine, drink plenty of fluids, and and rest. I'm going to sleep longer than I normally do, normal than I normally do, and I'm going to let my body heal. The primary ingredient of a wellness protocol to get yourself back in working order is sleep and rest. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit real quick as we get started here on this best Friday ever because we get the weekend coming up and you have more control over your schedule on the weekend than you do at any other time. So here's what I encourage you to do. Start thinking about an effective sleep protocol. I have, and mine is really tricky because I cannot seem to get more than six and a half hours of sleep per night. I don't know why, but I, it's just, it's, it's a real struggle for me. We all need at least seven and a half to eight hours, eight hours being optimal. And so here are some things you can do to get better sleep. Oh, and by the way, let me give you some reasoning behind this so that you don't just hear the old, you know, eat your oatmeal because it sticks to your ribs, get plenty of sleep because that's just what you should do. No, I want to give you the science. Did you know REM sleep, which is where you have that rapid eye movement, right? That's when you're dreaming. Here's how important REM sleep is. Okay, you ready for this? Listen to these numbers. Listen to this real quick statistic. By shortchanging yourself, 5% of your required REM sleep per night, which I think is if a full dose would be like 90 minutes. If you can get 90 minutes throughout the night of good REM sleep, then that's like the max. I think I've got that right, but just nevertheless, listen to this. By shorting your REM sleep by 5%, you have a 13 greater chance of morbidity. Okay, I'm going to say that again. By shortchanging yourself 5% of the necessary REM sleep for you, you increase your chance of death and morbidity. This means a wreck. This means cardiovascular disease. This means insulin resistance. You will increase your chance of morbidity by 13%. So getting enough sleep is in all actuality a life or death situation. It is unbelievable. Lack of sleep can increase weight gain, which impacts your cardiovascular system. It can increase your chances for Alzheimer's and dementia. It can it can impact your insulin resistance which as you all know, if you've listened to the show at all for any time, you know that I am a firm believer, and this is bared out by all the people that are way smarter than me. All I'm doing is parroting the data that I hear and that I read and I consume from people much brighter than me. 
if there is one marker that you and I should really be watching, you know, for the for years and years, we've always thought that, well, we watch our cholesterol and our blood pressure and things like that. And those are absolutely important. But you can if you if you peel that onion back further and further and further at the core of it, what impacts so many other things down the line, the cascade of health uh, problems and challenges can all be traced back to this thing right here. Listen, lean in. Here we go. You ready? Insulin resistance. If your body loses its sensitivity to insulin and therefore its ability to manage glucose levels, the cascade of adverse impacts are so great. So, so sleep even impacts your insulin resistance. Okay, so make sure you are getting proper sleep. And in fact, there is not one thing. Like, you know, these professional sports teams, I was talking to um, you know, my buddy Josh Tomlin that's on the show and uh, that I'm, I talk about a lot. Josh told me in, the, uh, in professional baseball, they have taken sleep to such a high degree as far as the level of importance for recovery for their athletes. They actually have sleeping rooms and sleeping monitors and make they make sure that the players have the ability to get good, deep, restful sleep. It is It has become as important. And if you talk to any peak performer, any peak performer, they will tell you now that sleep is as important as their time in the weight room, as their time on the treadmill, as their time doing whatever physical activity there is. The sleep is is in there and has a high, high priority. And so I just want to tell you, so that's what, so I, with that being in mind, it's times like this past weekend where I didn't feel 100% and normally I would just say, like, I cannot miss my workout. I've got to press on. I've got, I, I just can't, you know, no, I really realized that given the choice between a 30 minute cardio se- session and a good sweat or some more sleep and taking it easy and letting my body recover, the letting the, the recovery from sleep is the greater of those two. As it relates to, so it's like knowing what your body needs when it needs it. Now, when all things, when I'm hitting on all cylinders and I'm feeling good like I am now, then yeah, today's going to be a tough workout day. It's going to be probably my first one back where I really push it to my normal, uh, my normal cadence, right? But you and I, we have got to dial in our sleep. This is of utmost importance. So I just wanted to stress that. And so you know, because it was one of those weekends where I had to really test myself. It's hard for me. It is really, really hard for me to not do my workout. But I ended up not even taking my jump ropes or my resistance bands out of my bag. Instead, I chose to recover and to sleep. And I tell you, it lasted maybe a day and a half, two days. Man, I still got a little bit of lingering effects of the of whatever it was. It could have just been a freaking uh, sinus infection from that dust bowl that was my daughter's new room. I'm not sure, but nevertheless. I just wanted to uh, to tell you, you got to get sleep. Okay, now here's the crux of, or the the main thing I want to talk to you about on this best Friday ever. So the last issue of the Vitruvian letter, I started something that I'm going to start doing more often. It was Voltaire who said, judge a man by his questions, not by his answers. And I, there, there's no shortage of people willing to throw out answers, right? And I can tell you, 
one of the greatest gifts that I think that I have gained over the course of my life, especially in these these past, I'd say, the mm, 10 years, past decade, is to understand the value of questions and asking better questions. Uh, I'm often asked, so I went to graduate school, I got an MBA from, uh, from Southern Methodist University. And people who are considering an MBA, when they call me and they, or they talk to me and say, are you glad you got it? Was it worth it? The one thing I always tell them is this. One, I can't answer that for you. I don't know that it was worth it for me because I, I don't have a career that uh, needed an MBA. It has really done absolutely nothing for me for my career because I was self-employed before I got it. Uh, all my private sector ventures that I do now do not necessarily require an MBA. But here is the greatest thing I did receive from my time in graduate school. I learned not only to ask better questions, but to just ask questions in general. So often we find ourselves in certain company that we think a question is going to somehow make us look lesser than, that it's going to make us seem not prepared, or it's going to make us seem dumb. We're trying to keep up. I know I suffered from this for a long time. I've actually developed a course on growth mindsets, Vitruvian mindsets, that um, is, is part of my, my training class. If you have any questions about that, if you want to learn more, then just DM me on Instagram or shoot me an email at jason at texttitans.com. Haven't done a full launch of it because I'm just now really, I'm putting the final touches on my online training courses. But one of my favorite courses that I've developed is on growth mindsets. And the reason why I was so adamant about digging in and developing that course was this. I am someone who suffered for years from a fixed mindset, and a fixed mindset is all performance-based. You believe that your your understanding of your knowledge, your, your physical abilities, all even sometimes your abilities in a relationship and your expectations of others in a relationship, it's all fixed. There's a certain amount of talent, of knowledge, of ability that you have, and once you've reached that, it in the only way you can get above your perceived uh, ceiling of uh, of competency is to make up for it by performance and and, and and giving the appearance of being, say, smarter than you really are. And so if you're someone like me with a fixed mindset and you think, wow, I've reached the height of my knowledge. I really feel like I'm out. Um, I've got, there's more brain power in here. I'm out, you know, I'm outmanned in brain power in this room. Well, then I've got to come up with all the answers I possibly can. I can't ask questions because then I'll show my cards and these people will realize that I've maxed out my intellectual capacity. That's how I operated for years and years and years. And then it was in graduate school that I started to see people who I knew were, and I don't say this with false humility, they were actually intellectually smarter than me. They were more accomplished. They were brighter than me. Uh, I had imposter syndrome throughout my entire time at SMU. I assumed everyone was much smarter than me. I was the guy that was like, wow, they only let me in here because I was willing to pay the exorbitant amount of money that it cost to get an MBA from SMU. That's the only reason I got in. It certainly had nothing to do with my brains. And so it was whenever I saw other people who I knew had much more intellectual bandwidth than me asking questions that I thought, hmm, maybe there is something, maybe it's okay to ask questions. Maybe 
the correlation of questions to stupidity, I've got that equation wrong. And so I started asking more questions. And then all of a sudden, I started implementing questions into conversation more. In fact, instead of, you know, have you been in a conversation with these people that essentially they'll ask you a question, which is really nothing more but them putting a T in the, in the grass ready for you to your answer to be their ball that they're going to start swinging with hitting stories about themselves. I've got one family member in particular that they cannot, cannot, just it seemingly cannot ask you a question, get an answer, and then not go on to tell you some 30-minute diatribe about their family, their childhood, their grandmother. They just go on and on and on and never ask a follow-up question. And that's how, I think that's one a great indicator when someone is not truly interested in you is whenever they ask you a question and you give them the answer and they don't ask a follow-up. And so that's one of the things that I think that is, is, is so important is to ask people like three questions before ever providing them an answer. It's just such a, uh, I know that this is a tactic that I think is used by Jim Collins a lot, uh, author of Good to Great. If you ever listen to Jim Collins in an interview, one of the things that, and he's there to be interviewed, right? So it's natural that he is in a setting to give answers, not ask questions. However, one of the things I've noticed about Jim Collins is so cool is in his interviews, generally speaking, the interviewer will pose a question and then Collins will say, I'll answer that in a minute, but first, would you mind if I asked you a couple of questions? And the interviewer is always inevitably like, oh, well, sure. And it's just, and I remember whenever I first heard him do that, I thought that was really cool. It did, and it's, it, there's a, one, it's probably good for him because it gets it puts him in a state of kind of a little bit control of the situation. When you're when you're the questioner, then you're the one that seems to have the upper hand. Not that that's what I'm describing here. That's a whole nother deal of about um, uh, was it Robert Galladini? I think I pronounced his name right. His book Influence talks a lot about how you can use uh, asking questions as a way to get the upper hand and kind of control a situation, and it, it's really kind of cool. But anyway, that's not what he does it for. He's, he's genuinely interested. He comes, he's like, I got some questions about you first. And so I think that that was one of the first places I saw that. And now I'm trying my best. And I still, especially on certain topics, the topics that we're most passionate about, that we know what we know, it is so hard to ask questions. But one of the things, now bringing this plane to a landing on, and the power of questions I have started, and I'm going to start, I'm going to continue with this, this line of asking three questions at the beginning of the Vitruvian letter. And if you have not subscribed to the Vitruvian letter, you can be, do that by going out to jasonrightnow.com. And I, and I really encourage you to sign up. It's a quick, maybe three or four minute read. Sometimes it's a little more robust than others, but you know, you can just skim it. And what I do is I try to include in there links to helpful videos I've seen, books that I'm reading that really had a profound impact 
uh, just different tidbits on like the, some of the things that I've covered here on how to help with your insulin sensitivity, how to get better sleep, uh, you know, the reasons why matcha is so important as far as a, a tea and, and why why does it make sense to put turmeric and saline cinnamon in your coffee every morning to control your insulin resistance and all these different things and why, why walking is important. I just, I try to take all these things that I'm trying to incorporate to improve always and always as is the Jason Wright show motto. I try to encapsulate a lot of those actual uh, activities that I'm doing to deploy and, and just list them out real quickly. And you can take as much as you want. And then I'll usually have one long form article about some topic that I've kind of uh, geeked out on for that week. So if you haven't subscribed, please, please consider doing that. The Vitruvian letter you can do that again at jasonrightnow.com. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to start doing is I wanted to start posing three questions at the beginning of every Vitruvian letter. And this is these are not because I'm saying, hey, have you done this as though it's an accusation? But these are questions that I ponder myself and I ask to myself, and I don't think I'm all that unique. So I thought I would come on and just give you these three questions. And those of you who are subscribers, I know a lot of listeners to the show obviously also subscribe. So maybe you've answered these questions, but maybe you just kind of skimmed over them. And this would be a good time to kind of just take the time to just pose this question to yourself. So I would like you to do this exercise for me. I'm going to read the question and then I want you to ask yourself the question and just immediately the first thing that pops into your mind, whatever it is, do not filter it. Whatever comes to your mind, acknowledge it. Put it under the microscope, okay? I want you to, when whenever comes to your mind, you know, what does it say? Um, we, no, there's some quote about how we are the easiest, you know, be true to yourself and we are the easiest, uh, easiest to fool of all, whatever. I can't remember who said it. And I know I butchered the quote, but the bottom line is don't fool yourself. Be honest with yourself. Don't be scared of what might pop up when some of these questions arise, Okay. Question number one, what are you not doing that you know you should be? Did something pop into your head? Because I know, I guarantee you, we all have something that we are not doing. Saving enough money, saving for college, telling our wife we love them enough, calling our friends enough, writing a letter, whatever the case may be. Uh, What are we not doing that we know we should be. Okay, that's question number one. Question number two, what are you doing that you know you should not be doing? What pops into your head? There's got to be something. There's something you know that you are doing that you shouldn't be doing, and yet you're doing it anyway. Here's what I want you to do with that. Both of these questions, when the things pop into your mind, Dig in and find the root. Don't just go, well, I don't well, I know why I do this. I love doing it. I know I shouldn't, but I love it. Why do you love it? And then ask yourself, if it's something you're doing that you should not be doing, what is the long-term cost of the thing you're doing? Some of you, the thing that you're doing, the thing that popped into your mind, if light were to be shined on it, You could lose your family. You could lose your reputation. 
you could lose your job. Maybe it wouldn't happen tomorrow, the next day, the next day, but if you keep it up, you could eventually lose your life. What are you doing right now? One of the coolest things, and this might be a relationship. How many of you, whenever I ask that question of what are you doing that you know you should not be doing, you thought someone someone's face came to your mind, the person that you're dating. I watched on the Netflix special about Tony Robbins, I Am Not Your Guru, one of the most powerful scenes in that movie was this lady that she was dating this guy. And I mean, it's a huge room. I think there's only like, over like 2,000 people in this room. And Tony picks this one lady out. And she starts talking about this guy that she's dating that she knows is not right for her. And, she, and he basically poses the question, if he were here, if you did what you knew you should do, would you break up with him? Answer me now. Answer. And she said, yeah. He said, get out your phone. And the whole crowd's like, well, what? And he's like, she's like, wait, really? He's like, yep, get out your phone. In other words, if you know that you don't need to be with this guy, this is something, you're, you're in this relationship and you should not be in it, then stop it right now, right here, right now. Don't wait any longer. Get out. Get it over with. Do him the favor. Do yourself the favor. End it. And I remember watching that. And at the time, um, it was like I, I, I was in a relationship that I knew I did not want to be in. I knew I didn't. I saw that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to do that. I've got, I need to do that. And so if you are that person, don't delay the inevitable. And for those of you who are doing something that feels good, let's say that you know that um, you're, you're, you're doing, you're, you're consuming something. I don't care if it's narcotics, I don't care if it's alcohol, I don't care if it's too much food, whatever you're smoking, who, who cares, whatever the hell it is. Um, you're, you're addicted to porn, whatever the case is. You're doing that you know you shouldn't be. Here's the deal. Cutting out that thing is going to be hard and it's going to hurt. But here's the deal. It's an ounce of discipline versus a ton of regret. You have the choice. Discipline weighs a ton. Excuse me. Discipline weighs an ounce. Doing without that thing that you know you should not be doing, at most, it's going to be like an ounce of pain to not do it. It's not just going to destroy your life. It's not going to turn your world upside down, most likely. But here's the thing. You keep it up, you're adding. Those ounces add up to a ton of future regret. So ask yourself the question, what are you doing that you know you should not be? Final and third question from this issue. What are you doing that you know you should be doing much more of? I don't think we ask this question enough. What are you doing that works in your life? What are you doing that whenever you do it, you're like, why don't I do that more often? That was fantastic. I went to bed early last night. I woke up this morning. I felt frigging great. Why aren't you doing that more often? You have the power to do that. Arrange your life so that you can get to bed earlier. I went to a party last night, had the best time, didn't have a drop to drink. Why don't I do that more often? That was so freaking fun. 
prayer. I prayed for the first time this morning as the sun was coming up, and it was amazing. I just had this calm that came over me. My thoughts were in order. I felt this just peace before I started my day. Why don't I do that more often? Do it. What are you really, really good at? What ability do you have that is unique to you, that is uniquely yours, that whenever you show up doing that thing, you light up inside and everyone around you lights up? What is that thing? And why aren't you doing more of that thing? These are some questions that in order for me to continuously improve as a human being during my time on this earth, during this vapor, this it's going to be gone. So I'm like, well, while I'm here, I want to get the best of it. And I want to be the best version of myself. So I'm going to start asking myself powerful questions every day and having the courage. My, my goal and my goal for you, my, my encouragement to you is to have the courage to answer these questions honestly. And I think that if we're willing to ask really, really good questions of ourselves, then we're going to get really powerful, meaningful, workable answers. If someone were to ask you, why do you do what you do? Why do you live your life the way you live it? Could you answer? This doesn't mean that we need to, to dive into some cave of navel gazing and self-reflection and, and all these other things that just make us become you know, gods into ourselves. But if we're willing to ask questions and be honest with ourselves with in, in dealing with some of the answers that we just don't like, then I think that that can lead to a better version of ourselves that will, in fact, impact the world around us. All right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. There you have it. That is this best Friday ever. Also, just to let you know, this Sunday... I will be continuing with Stone Chiseler Sunday. So I think it's chapter four of my latest book, The Stone Chiseler, will be out on the podcast. So check that out. It's a it's a parable about a young boy who loses everything. He goes through a living nightmare. It was inspired by Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. I really think you'll enjoy it. So check it out on Stone Chiseler Sunday. Until you hear from me again, please continue to improve always and always. Ask yourself the questions that will allow you to do that very thing. And I appreciate you listening. I'm Jason, and I'm out. Have a good weekend, folks.